We're going to be reading from Psalm 9. Thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O God, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers evil flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of snow unrighteousness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I was just going to mention to you that there is um, there are a group of ladies that pray on Thursdays at 9.30. And for many of you, you don't know that they are um, going before the throne of grace for you and for your family, for your marriages, uh, for you raising your children, uh, for you to live a life that would bring glory and honor to God. And so I'm thankful for that because we need that. And I remember my mom um, telling me of a, a group of ladies that prayed in a church where the church where I grew up and we were a part of, and uh, they prayed for years. The Lord raised up people to do those things. And so it is a, a pleasure to know that, and it, I delight in that, and I hope you will too. And be reminded that <clears throat> even if you think you're alone, in this world, and you think that you are kind of going at this alone, that there are people uh, on their knees week after week praying that God would continue to move in your life and transform you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom and direction as we study it together. I pray, O Lord, that you would give um, me strength today to do what you would have me do so that you might be honored and glorified and your word be lifted up. Lord, we, we all need your help. We need your help to focus, to comprehend the wonders that you have given us in your word. We ask for you to help us um, apply these things and not just be hearers, but doers. In Christ's name, amen. How did you uh, grow up as a family? If you were to think about it and you were to lay it out for me, like how did you think about uh, corporate worship as a family? Some of you may have grown up with a family where corporate worship was really important. Uh, some of you may have grown up in a place where they didn't think about Sunday worship or Sunday activities, any of those kinds of things. Uh, those were not an important value. Uh, so you all kind of come here with these different things. And some of you, for your own life, you are kind of changing the direction, the course, uh, by God's grace and for His glory with regard to uh, gathering together in worship. Um, if you did grow up with a family and with parents, did they engage in it? You know, there were some people I knew growing up that thought, these people, 
they do this out of habit. They know they're supposed to go to church, but they don't treasure the Lord, you know. And uh, you kind of, there's people like that. You may have grown up and you're like, hey, we just checked that off the list. It was something we felt like we had to do so we could make sure that we went to heaven. But, you know, it didn't really mean anything. It was not changing anything. It was not like moving us in a direction. And so you could come up in a different ways. And, in, and you know, you might even stop and think like, if my children were to think like, how do I view worship, corporate worship? Do I treasure Christ? Do I enjoy him? Do I sing the songs? Do I engage in the sermon? Am I there to really to, to be built up in the faith? Am I there to give honor and glory to God? I mean, all those things need to be in our minds as we think about this study today. And I think it's important for you to ask, like, I, and I do see it this way, but do you see corporate worship as a duty and a delight? I mean, that, that's a big question. Do you see it as both? I, I do see it that way. I see it as both a duty and a delight. And uh, I go through different times maybe where I, I don't delight as much and I go ahead and do what I need to do and I pray and ask God to help me uh, get my mind straight. You'll see in a psalm today, in this psalm, you see in, in, that it is a psalm for the Sabbath. And that kind of brings something up for us to consider and to think about. So if you're new to Christianity and you never heard the word Sabbath, uh, the way in which you would see this was uh, from creation onward. I mean, like when you in the creation story, on the sixth day, God, uh, I mean, six days, he created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. And when you see that and you understand that, you see that as a pattern. And it's a pattern that is, is followed kind of from that point onward. And we really see it kind of uh, in real clear way when God speaks to his people and the people of Egypt. And, and when they are, they've passed through the Red Sea, they go to the mountain. You set aside this seventh day. You set it aside to remind you that God created you. In the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 5, you remember that he redeemed you. And so you stop from your, cease from your labor and you stop to worship and consider that everything I have, all that God's done in my life, He created me, ultimately in His creation, creating of me, He sustains me, and He's redeemed me. And those things are things that they should do. And so that is what you see. It becomes a significant sign among the people of God. Now, some people would say you, that continues that you should work six days and on the seventh day rest. So some people would view it that way, and they would see it like uh, that the Sabbath continues uh, from the Old Testament all the way into the New. And so on Saturdays, they would set aside time. I have friends like that that think in that way. There are some in our church that have views that would orient that, that direction. Another uh, view would be, and a lot of people, this would be probably, you would say, more common in the Christian tradition, where the Sabbath is the uh, continued on the Lord's day. And so what you would it, it, the way it happened was after Jesus was resurrected, they would say, look, the Sabbath moves to the, to the first day of the week and on Sundays that we worship the Lord. We set aside Sundays and so you might have heard somebody say something like, I'm a sabbatarian. I believe that Sundays is a day of worship and rest and that's the way in which we are going to do that. You might read that in the Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession, where it says, from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, 
in Scripture. It is called the Lord's Day. And it will continue until the end of the world. And so there are people that say, no, Sabbath still stands. Six days shall you work, seventh day rest. There are people that say, oh, no, this was a transition. And you go from the seventh day to the first day. And it's called the Lord's Day. And then uh, one of the things that they would see in that is Hebrews 4.10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works this day, a special day. Then there are people that might think, that or do think, not might, they do think that this is a perpetual Sabbath that we're living in now. They would take a Hebrews 4.10 and say, in Christ, because you're a Christian, because you've come into relationship with Him, and the finished work of Christ has been accomplished, no longer are we kind of tied to the Sabbath because it's not mentioned again as a command in the New Testament. Now, we do celebrate the Lord and we do worship, but we're not perpetuating this idea of Sabbath, that it's, it's ceased to be. We are living in, sorry, it has not ceased to be. We live in Sabbath all the time. That's the way they see that. We are perpetually in Sabbath, rest. Um, because we're united to Christ. So, either way you go, right, you would see worship as important. Whether you, you would always see worship as important. And I think if you read the Bible, you read the New Testament well, you realize that people gather together regularly. And in the early church, there is this term, uh, really, in, where it says uh, in Revelation 1.10 and 1 Corinthians 16.2, they call the first day of the week the Lord's Day. See, John, go up into the presence of God on the first day of the week. It's the, the Lord's Day. In Acts chapter 2, you see the, on the first day of the week, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. It's kind of this, this idea of the, the resurrection, the, the, the light has come, and the, the, this, it's a new creation. And uh, it is, we've entered into that, the wonderful things there. And so there are, whatever wherever place you fall, ultimately, Gathering as God's people uh, for the praise and honor of Him regularly uh, is of vital importance, and it has been out throughout church history. And if you think, ah, it's not that big a deal, you, you're in a bad place, because it is a big deal. God intended for you to make it a big deal. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us continue, uh, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's a regular thing. It's a consistent thing that you would live your life in constant focus on, I need to gather with the saints. I need to hear the truth of God's Word. I want to be faithful. So, what... I want you to think about this psalm this morning. You ready? I would just call it, it is good to praise God. That, that's, you just say to yourself, it is good to praise God. It is good to live a life praising God. The first part, verses 1 to 5, you praise God for, really you could say, His character and His works. In verses 5 through 9, or 6 through 9 really, it, you could say, listen, there's the, the folly or praise less, kind of. That's the way I think about it. It may not even be a word, but may I add that in there? And the future of those, as you look at 10 to 15, the future of those who are praise-filled. So there's this kind of the folly of those who don't praise God and the future for those who do praise God. And so we're going to kind of build a case today for the gathering of the saints and how important 
it is. So let's look at this together. Psalm 92, verse 1. Remember, we're looking at his character and his works. In verses 1 to 3, he says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. You just stop there for a moment and you think about that. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. This is a psalm for the Sabbath. It is good for us to gather and give thanks to God. That's the idea here. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. It is good to praise the Lord. It is some of to practice and cultivate gratitude in your heart towards God. Some of you, like, you need to stop and say, like, am I coming there to express gratitude? Or God, help me, like, as I go, as I gather with the church, to grow in gratitude. It should be a practice. It's something God... And what we try to do is, this is what we encourage you to do at this church. We say, come to church on Sundays and come with us and sing to God, and give glory to God, and praise God, and exalt God. And then we say, um, go to community group. And in community group, read, pray, and sing. You're not doing the whole thing of a public worship, but come together, read, pray, sing. And do that in the worship uh, community group kind of worship time. And then we encourage you to meet with your family, and read, pray, and sing. Make a habit, make this pattern in your life of practicing giving thanks to God. That's what you want to do. That inspires like a hope in you. That points you in the right direction. Make that the pattern of your life. Spurgeon says that the praise of God is good ethically. It is good ethically for it, for it is the Lord's right. It is good emotionally for it is pleasant to the heart, and practically, for it leads others to render the same homage. Do you not think like year after year as my kids grow up hearing us read, pray, and sing every night that it doesn't inspire something in them, it builds something in them? I mean, God has to change their hearts, but we're practicing a heart of gratitude, and we're praying God make their hearts catch up with what we practiced and that's what I would pray for you. And that's what you should be praying for yourself. Now, he says he's thinking about the steadfast love of God. So we're looking at his loving kindness and his truth. We praise God for his loving kindness and his truth. You're thinking about the steadfast love of the Lord. You're thinking about his covenant faithfulness. His loving steadfast in the morning and his faithfulness in the evening. You're saying God is faithful. I can trust Him. I should put my trust in Him. I should grow in my love for Him. Why am I not moving forward in that? That would be something where I say, Lord, help me reflect on Your great love for us. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when the Lord is describing Himself to Moses, that's what He says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And He keeps that with His people. We want to reflect on that. It, you you kind of want to think, like, in your home, like, is your spouse, are they thinking of you reflecting on the steadfast love of God? Or do they think that you are, are thinking about that? There's constantly, there are times where, even this last week, where I felt like Anna is pouring over me those things. 
the steadfast love of the God, the faithfulness of God. She is reminding me of the wonder of those things. Even yesterday, we were driving somewhere, and I thought, my goodness, she keeps reminding me of the truths that I should believe, and then I do preach. But I don't always like really hold fast to those. And she's reminding me of those truths. And so, you praise God for His loving kindness and truth. You praise God for His works and counsels. Uh, this is verse 4 and 5. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. His work in creation, His work in redemption. Both of those. I give praise to God. I should give thanks to God for those. He, the heavens declare His glory. And then when I look at the redemption, it says the angels long to look into the work that God is our Redeemer. Praise Him for those things. You know, when you think about the glory of His truth, He does whatever He promises to do. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the, rich of, the, uh, of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him, that He might be repaid. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Somebody that's living a life of praise is reflecting on the wonder of God, the greatness of God, the sufficiency of God, the power of God, the great works of God. And what Paul follows that up with when you read Romans is Romans 12. He says, then live your life in worship to God. Offer back your life to God. That's what you want to do. This is why we stop and consider. This is why you schedule your week not as I work these five days and then I uh, do recreation on Saturdays and Sundays that's all for me. I, 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 to think like that is not to think rightly. We need to regularly gather with the people of God. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of God. We need to encourage one another to spend time praising God. We have to. It's good for us. It is good for us. God, Jesus said, this is not like God needs you to do that. He's not like an egomaniac in the sense like he needs you to do that. It's good for you. It's good for your heart. It's good for your life. It's good for your marriage. It's good for your children. It's good for your work. It's good for all those things. It's good for you. So we praise God for his character. Praise God for his works. And then there's this warning. It's the folly of the praiseless. A warning is good in the Bible. To be warned of something. God doesn't want you to be foolish. Look, verse 6 says, Asaph in Psalm 73, he talked about that. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. You don't want to be there. Some of you today may not realize that you are there. A brute is like a beast. He's incapable of reasoning. You say, I have a sound mind. I'm smart. You don't understand. I'm so smart, you know. But no, as the stupid man may be smart in this world, but absolutely lost in his mind. Y'all remember Nebuchadnezzar? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 
Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 4.16, he has a dream. And it's, in the dream it says, Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. What was that about? It was about Nebuchadnezzar, who thought so highly of himself. I mean, like I said, you meet people like that, who they think so much of themselves. They constantly tell you how they deserve everything they have because they are the greatest, they've worked harder than everybody, they're the smartest, oh, they're so wonderful in their own eyes. Nobody's convinced of that but them. Or maybe there are people that are convinced of it. Maybe they spend their life like Nebuchadnezzar and everybody tells them how great they are. That's what's in their ear. Their parents tell them that. Their workers tell them that. Everybody tells them, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. And they're like, basically, uh, they've written this newspaper article about themselves and they remind themselves over and over. Nebuchadnezzar is in that place. Nebuchadnezzar is standing atop of all that he has done in Babylon and he says... um, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my might and power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Have I not done this? It's kind of where he's standing. How great, how great am I? And immediately, he lost his mind. God took his mind away. Because a fool, a brute, is what he became. He was acting foolish, and therefore he got a fool's reward. You know what happened when his mind came back? Y'all know what happened? Daniel 4, 34 and 35 says, At the end of these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. He went eating grass and ice. He got to spend seven periods of time. I don't know how long that was. eating, Eating grass and hanging out in the field with the animals. And But when he woke up, from his stupor, and God woke him up from it. He lifted his eyes to heaven, and his reason returned to him, and he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can say to his hand, or stay his hand, or say to him, What have you done? When his reason returned, he thought, God is the greatest one. God should be praised. Not me. Not me. If you think that, like, when you look at your life, you say, I should be, they should think more of me. They should make more of me. They should, they should look at me and say, oh, how much you've done for us. You're so great. Oh. If you start doing that, it can be in your like small little house. It could be in your like small little neighborhood. It could be in your small little work that you do. But if you think like that, you're a fool. You're, you don't have any sense. You are really at a place where it's a dangerous place to be. The most frightening place to be. Romans 1 speaks of people who did not give thanks to God but became futile in their ways. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. What's he saying? He's saying you may grow up into something. You may be in a small community and you're something. You may be one of those like big in your mind and you're something. You might be something in your family, in your mind. 
And the deal is, is you grow, the, the grass grows up, but what you don't understand is the Texas heat kills the grass. Right? It, 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 you're not something. People come and go. They live for just a moment. They're here today and gone tomorrow. When you start thinking, look at all that I've done. And you're not saying, you know, God created me. God gave me the mind that I have, the family that I had, the desire that I had, the strength that I had, the motivations that I had, the opportunities that I had, the money behind me that I had, the encouragement that I had. God gave me all of those things. Not one of those came from my greatness. God gave those things. When you understand that, it changes everything. But if you don't understand that, it changes everything. Because you are not the great and wonderful person that you think that you are. If you wake up every morning looking in the mirror and saying like, how great I am, and you go around where people say, oh, how great you are, you are setting yourself up to be doomed forever. You are setting yourself up to be doomed forever. The one that gets the applause of man and has no place to lift up his eyes to God and give him glory, he will be doomed forever. Don't be a fool. Don't read your own self-written or people around you, their articles about you. In Revelation 18, do you remember uh, Babylon the Great in Revelation 18? You know what happened to Babylon the Great in Revelation 18? It says about Babylon the Great, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. For this reason, plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed immorality with her, who lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. You know, you could be in church your whole life and miss the point. It's not, church is not just another way for you to be in. Following Christ, trusting in Him, putting your hope in Him, that's the way to not choose folly. That's the way to, to listen to the warning. Now let's look at verses 10 through 15. So the promise is that there is a future of those who are filled with praise or the praise-filled, 
There's a future for them. They have a future. He says, but you have, you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. This reminds you of 1 Samuel, and really it speaks of that king that's to come. And I think it is kind of pointing to, like, you're going to be on the side of the Messiah, the hope of the nations. Verse 11, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. You know, it says in Psalm 2 that the kings of the earth better kiss the sun or they will face judgment. That's what it says. So you've aligned the future of those who filled, are filled with praise. They're on the side of the Lord. They have a future with Him. He will reign forever. His kingdom is forever. Verse 12 through 15, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. They are not like a field of grass. Just write that down. They're not like a field of grass that, that when all the, the, the heavy sun comes down on it in the worst part of August, and they're dead. That's not what happens with the people of God. They are like great cedars in Lebanon. Those were used to, to build things. The, the cedars of Lebanon were known for their majestic strength and the great uses that were used by men even but to see them was to be in awe these great cedars of lebanon these people who put their trust in god they've set their life in god they are planted in the house of the lord is that not crazy they planted their life in the house of the lord and guess what the nutrition of the lord has has grown them up it doesn't mean that they are like um uh, healthy physically at every moment. They are growing in spiritual strength year after year after year after year because they've been planted in the presence of God. They've been planting their life in the worship of God and it is feeding them and it's making them strong. As Paul said, though outwardly we might be wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed by day by day. And when that happens in your life, it grows you up. And it strengthens you water. When you think about the end, that there's this river that's feeding the whole earth. He's like planted in that by those streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that He does, He prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that are driven away. They will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They have built their life on truth. They have built their life on the steadfast love of God. They have entered into His sanctuary. They've been planted there. They've been growing and being strengthened day by day by day, year after year, so that when you set before them, you see this testimony of God's greatness. They are quick to say of God, to declare of God that He is upright, that He is their rock, that there's no unrighteousness in Him. I had an aunt who was um, dying. And 
she had suffered through so much physical stuff. that I mean, my whole life I thought, I can't believe what all she's faced. But she was a delight to be around. To sit by, by, by in, in a real sense, her deathbed was one of the most glorious things and moments in my life. Why? Because she had been so rooted and grounded in the Lord that I walked out of there encouraged to keep going, you know, to keep running, to keep walking by faith. The reality is, is powerful temptations, one author says, confront us. We are tempted to believe that there's nothing better than sin, nothing more satisfying than selfish indulgence. That means doing what you want to do all the time, getting your way, or pouting when you don't. Wham. We think nothing more to be desired than what tempts us, what we want, that those are the things that you really should desire, what you want. But by asserting the goodness and praise of God, Psalm 92 testifies that to forsake God's instruction is to praise the wicked. To praise God is to say that there is nothing better than His will, nothing more satisfying than living as He has commanded, and nothing more to be desired than what He has promised. Because everything He says is true. And so this truth comes to us and we understand that God's Messiah will conquer. His horn will be exhausted, exalted. Jesus will reign. The wicked will be punished. The heavens and earth will be made new. And the righteous by faith will hear the fruits, uh, experience and bear the fruits of the Holy Spirit as they look forward to the nutritious day, the day when it, it, they're filled up with the fullness of God in His eternal cosmic temple. It, it's, this is the God who created us the God who sustains us, the God who makes promises to us, the God who always keeps His promises. We put our trust there. We, our lives should be marked by getting close to the place where God's people are gathered together and seating our life there and, and, and standing there in the presence of God, lifting Him up. That should be the pattern of our life. And it will pay enormous benefits. The wicked are not so. They will go and pursue all the things of this world and they will come up like grass and they will die. But not the righteous. They will live forevermore in the presence of God's glory in His kingdom where all is right. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word from You. The truth of this psalm. May we be people who understand the wonder of what it means to be in the presence of of your people lifting up you and praising you for all that you've done. In Christ's name, amen.